When the world materialized back around us, we were surrounded by four men in burgundy, with guns out. We hurriedly explained the Zeta Beam, and when we finished, they took it in stride. They were used to sci-fi marvels, and they started talking about the ray guns and aliens they'd faced down. Even though they lacked superpowers, the stories they told were fantastic. And so, we settled in to learn more about these challengers of the unknown. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Okay, so more people we don't know. <laughs> like, that's really yeah. what it comes down to is I, I didn't realize I had some experience with the Challengers of the Unknown. And by some, I mean, remember the New Frontier movie we watched that's like kind of like 1950s? Yeah. Fl they were uh, Ace, it? Hal's buddy, is Ace <laughs> in the Challengers. Okay. That's actually okay. the same guy. So it's, that was weird. That was the only experience I'd have is if you read Justice League New Frontier, which is a book that came out, I'm gonna, sorry, I can't even tell you how, how long ago. Movie is now currently, as we record this, on Hulu. Should you for, want to watch it for a little while until yeah. universe comes? Like out. I said, like I said, for whenever this this episode is coming out, that's when that is. Um, it's a, it's a good movie. I think it's really interesting. It's it's kind of a fun take on everything. We might we might actually just want to do an episode on it once we get to like everybody who's in that movie. It might be fun to just like watch the movie and be like, all right, or read the book it's based off of. I would because it is be based down off to book. like do. Uh... Like an episode that looks at a couple of the animated features. Because, yeah. uh, I mean, you showed me a couple and they're really good. Yeah, DC has some really solid animated features. And I think that would be worth kind of doing occasionally. Just some of the smaller ones. Um, but I think more pointedly, New Frontier is about all the characters that... Almost all the characters we've covered. So I'd be curious to read that graphic novel. And then be like, okay, here's a weird Elseworld version of everything we're reading right now. And also kind of like, this is marking something on the calendars for a long way out. But once we're thoroughly through the Silver Age, at least enough where it's like, okay, we've reached the end of the trends being introduced that will sort of define the Silver Age right. in its entirety. Because we're still in like the part of the Silver Age that is going to be very different from once Fantastic Four comes out. Sure. Uh, once Silver Age Batman gets going uh, in that style, in the 66 yeah. style, I'd be really fascinated to, com to compare the actual Silver Age as we read it as it was versus how we remember it. Because, right. God, that's those contrasts I'm always yeah. fascinated by. We're, uh, we're definitely not going to hit that till like mid-60s, mid to late-60s when everything is kind yeah. of like, okay, this is the new norm, right? We're good with this. All right, let's get weird and then just go <laughs> ahead. So you're going to have... We're going to get some really interesting stuff, but specifically, we're going to look at some characters that we don't really have, again, like we hit, like we have with Adam Strange, real background with. Um, so, again, apologies, Joanne. The more I've been doing these um, recaps for characters that we know nothing about, mm -hmm. the more I'm realizing it's like, wow, we really do kind of have to spend some amount of time like we can't just be like it's green arrow eventually you're going to run into green arrow it's you're going to be hard pressed to run into the challengers of the unknown yeah they had a series that showed up i want to say in either rebirth or new 52 like a brief run just to mm -hmm. see if they were going to be okay and it didn't pan out very well so 
there was a, a an attempt at reviving these characters and it didn't go anywhere but the challengers of the unknown are a silver age construct of the dc universe and there really isn't a better place to start than their first appearance which is showcase number six uh january february 1957 so the challengers of the unknown are actually four men who when reading the first showcase don't appear to really know each other very well mm-hmm. at that point um they're flying to a radio program or a television program that is essentially just like spotlights on american heroes and previously before they're on the show is dealing with a bunch of women who presumably are you know pillars of the female american community um during the time period and the members who are in this airplane on their way to this show are ace a hero pilot from the korean war korean war we've gone away from the world war situation this guy is a korean war vet um shot down some 19 enemy planes or something like that they name a number they do don't they big big point being ace is an ace he's good at his job (laughs) Um, yeah, really, it's he's exactly what it says on the tin. Ace is this uh, war hero pilot. You've got uh, Rocky, who is a capital S strongman. Whatever that means, he is. Um, not circus strongman, more so like guy who fights crocodiles and climbs mountains in his spare time. So the best way, actually the best way that we can describe uh his role on the team is actually to take a step back and give a little bit of context on this one and i have to because it's it it does pay off uh well for explaining rocky um this is jack kirby uh or at least written by jack or drawn by jack kirby uh he'll write some of the later stuff that we cover these are dave wood and jack kirby stories up until we get to the actual challengers of the unknown named series and you might in fact recognize the concept of four people on a team drawn by Jack Kirby because we're coming up on the Fantastic Four. Yeah. And Rocky is just Ben Grimm. Yeah. Rocky is the, the, the ever loving thing. He is just the big dude who hits things. Uh, Albeit with less character. All of these, you can see the archetypes of these, of the Fantastic Four 100% in these characters, but it's through the lens. It's like, it's like if you have uh, one of those, like, uh, what are they? The transparencies, like, mm-hmm. overlaid of it. It's like, oh, everyone is stoic white guy with different colored hair. But you can see underneath, oh, there's the, there's Grimm. a little bit of the cocky one. There's a little bit of the strong one. But it's everybody has the same stoic expression. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting knowing what's going to happen. And I want to say, like, four or five years from this exact it, point. It's pretty literally, soon. I, it's, think, I think 61, yeah. Yeah, it's literally, like... Four years from now, the Fantastic Four are going to show up. And before that, you have Jack Kirby doing, drawing, and then eventually writing these characters. So you've got Ace, the pilot, Rocky, the big guy, the strong man, Red, who is your down-home farm boy from the circus. He's a daredevil. Think Evil Knievel type gentleman. He can just do really acrobatic things. He's fearless. He's a go-getter. And then you've got Professor Haley, who is a Swiss Army scientist. And I cannot tell you how in love with that phrase I am. Like <laughs> it I have, works. I am it works. So uh, I'm so happy about it. <laughs> I fucking love that phrase. It's amazing. And it goes with everything now. I'm never gonna not think of it because it works perfectly. So points to you for that. Um yeah, Professor Haley is a Swiss Army scientist. He is a scientist of science, you know, professor of all things. Um He does not have a corn cob pipe. No, yeah, no corn cob pipe, but he is 
the egghead. Very clearly, he is the only one, aside from Red, that you can really tell the difference in off the bat because his head is the only one shaped differently. I didn't even notice that much. It's ovoid while everyone else's is square-jawed. It's really interesting and just a thing to pick up on. Um, Ace has kind of a blonde buzz cut. Uh, Rocky is just a big dude with black hair and Red is a ginger fellow. And he's just kind of almost identical to Rocky if I want to say a head shorter. So that kind of denotes him as the young man of the group. And it doesn't help that they all wind up wearing the exact same uniform, like no distinctiveness yeah. whatsoever. They all wear they all wear this different uniform later. That is their calling card. It's much more Fantastic Four than X-Men. Yes, it very much is. So you've got these four gentlemen flying on a plane to this radio program, television program, and the plane is struck by lightning and they crash land. And by crash land, I mean they straight up 100% crash. It is believed that they are dead. But all four of them walk out of the crash completely unharmed. And all of their wristwatches are still running. To which they all exclaim that they are living on borrowed time. That they have walked away and cheated death. And their watches must indicate the fact that they have been granted some extra time in this world to do something it's not really clear what it is but they all feel a sense of purpose to continue to do things and since they're living on borrowed time and they already kind of have now this fearless attitude they will begin to look for the strange the weird the oddities of the world and challenge the unknown essentially so that's the challengers of the unknown four dudes who didn't know each other previously who crash landed a plane completely unscathed and have remarkably well-made watches that believe that the watches dictate some larger purpose in the universe one might assume in the modern age that they're completely dis like disoriented and delusional but in the 50s that's incredibly exciting and swashbuckly and cool and that's what we have so we've got these four guys and they begin to just do things um ace weirdly before hal jordan if i'm not mistaken um yeah. Okay, so Hal Jordan's introduced in showcase number 22. So a full 16 issues before Hal Jordan ever shows up, Ace becomes a test pilot. Huh. The fearless war hero pilot yeah. becomes a test pilot. Fair enough. So Ace is off doing things. Uh, Professor Haley begins, uh, who is also, uh, by the way, a champion and world-renowned skin diver, scuba diver, um begins to study the the perilous mysteries of the deep red is just doing weird daredevil shit because he can rocky's pictured frequently like wrestling alligators because he can i guess that's what he wants to do and just they're all doing things eventually they all get together again and someone says hey i've got a thing that i want some danger seeking individuals to check out on this island come and look at this and a very much like a manos the hands of fate looking gentleman um never Bas seen that yeah it's it's just a guy with a giant cape who looks vaguely eastern european he looks like an evil sorcerer so you know no red flags there um says i've got this giant box there's four compartments on it there's something in the fourth compartment that i would like i just don't want to open it myself because clearly this is a bad idea and the challenger's are like we're stupid and, and reckless let's do it and literally the first issue is them opening the boxes and monsters coming out or some kind of destructive force and them having to overcome it. The challengers are 
remarkably well-equipped to deal with each of these situations, like a giant statue coming to life or other ridiculous things. It's not really important what they're going after so much as that they've been tricked because the sorcerer guy wants a ring that comes out of the fourth spot, the fourth compartment because he believes it's going to give him immortality jokes on him. The box gives immortality. The ring gives certain death. And as he flies off going so long suckers, he explodes and professor, um, and the professor looks at the inscription on the box and he's like, Oh, that was just worded weirdly. And the story ends and we moved. (laughs) I, I do want to call something out there that I found, abs- in retrospect, absolutely interesting. Very reminiscent of Excalibur, because Excalibur was just kind of a nice sword. It was the sheath that made you invincible. Right, right. God, it's, it's been a long time since I read those. It's, uh, it's like a Cup of the Carpenter, sort of an Indiana Jones mm. situation mm-hmm. kind of a thing. It's like it's not really like the most ostentatious cup. It's clearly the least one. But, you know. Uh, we moved then to Showcase uh, number 7, March April 1957, um, the giant sentient robot Ultivac, created by an ex-Nazi so scientist, um, is now loose. Like ex-Nazi scientists are wont to do, he's created a semi-sentient robot that now yearns to understand its purpose in the world and is uh, scared by humans who are attacking it and is causing, you know, your standard wanton, you know, uh, destruction and mayhem. The challengers are then directed to uh, a secret lab somewhere in the U.S., in the Pentagon, or the in D.C., somewhere government important to uh, a person known as Director June Robbins. Now, June is just apparently the leading expert in Swiss Army science regarding robotics, and her and Professor Haley are kind of like, oh yeah, smart people talk, and they figure out that Ultivac may actually just kind of be a nice thing, a nice individual, and maybe isn't so bad after all. And in a very King Kong situation, um, Ultivac befriends June and protects her from getting attacked while the ex-Nazi scientist is like, this is bullshit, it's my fucking robot, and if I can't have him, no one can, and shoots Ultivac, then gets arrested. Ultivac is um, wounded beyond repair, but his brain can be saved, and June converts Ultivac's brain into a supercomputer, like one of those you see in the 1960s, which is just like a giant computer the size of, like, a city block. Tapes for days. Yeah, and it can do really weird nebulous computing, like, predicting the future, I guess, and that's what Ultivac is now. Um, June is made an honorary challenger of the unknown, so now there's Four, maybe five challengers. And hooray. That's the end of showcase number seven. We're going to move on to showcase number 11, November, December, 1957. Uh, first thing that I noticed, Professor Haley is misnamed. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a thing that's going to happen hmm. frequently. This is a thing that I noticed. Characters are misnamed or misdrawn. I believe that. So in the very beginning, they always kind of have these like meet the team sort of spreads that show the four members of the challengers, you know, doing either things that are their specialty or something um, that just is a nice, like danger room open shot. And um, professor Haley is in this professor Harrison. I'll be completely and totally honest here. There was a point midway through the reading where I was like, is it the same scientist every time or a different one? And it is. It's the same scientist. It's just they misnamed him. God. Uh, it's really Oops. stupid. 
Uh, yeah, so there's there's that. And so this story is uh, aliens from another world attempt to destroy humanity via some kind of subterranean detonating charges. And the challengers must sort of just like just like stop them. And in doing so, they they gimli a couple and kill specifically like five. So body count seven for the challengers here. They're not afraid to kill. There's yeah. they're just highfalutin adventuring types you know you do occasionally get drawn on parachutes effectively where it's like oh that person like that person was a giant and they even though that was a long way to fall down they're just unconscious but they're definitely not afraid to have characters be killed yeah they're shooting guns i mean like they're they're shooting straight up guns like they've got machine guns and i mean they they melt the base that the aliens have and kill these guys like it's they're not screwing around here you know it's it's a pretty um intense situation so we then move to challengers of the uh no uh showcase number 12 january february 1958 uh happy new year giants silver age has got to have them it's mandatory Uh, you know you've made it when you've got a giant story um a guy who is a criminal is escaping justice and the challengers of the unknown are called in to apprehend him. He finds an island where there's a guy who's guarding these mysterious vials that can do capital T things. And um, they just are vials that contain a single one use only spell for you D&D folks. And one of them makes his minions giant sized for a period of time. They then become normal sized afterwards. And the challengers just end up defeating him. Um... Because some of the the vials counteract other vials. Thanks, plot. That's very it's very pop. It's very purpose of plot uh, yeah. situation here. I will say, like, I found myself very often kind of nodding and saying, "Yeah, okay, I buy it." Uh, with a lot of the way that some of these challenges were resolved, but yeah, there's a whole lot of fiat solution. It just felt better than, like, say, Martian Manhunter. It's very take it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um. We then move to, after showcase number 12, Challengers of the Unknown, number one, April, May, 1958. They get their own book, and they are the only story in the book. So some of these stories are really long, or it's the two-story book thing. So Challengers of the Unknown, number one, which I will then just refer to as Challengers from the get-go, because it's a mouthful. Um, Olan Tagorian is a scientist, I guess, that Professor Haley is aware of, who is just a mad scientist type. And has created a teleporter that can teleport things from kind of any which where. It's very nebulous. Doesn't really matter. He teleports beings from another world to our planet. And the challengers must stop them because they're like monster things. Um, June is misnamed. She is not June Robbins. She's June Walker in the story. Oh, I did not even notice that. Yeah. uh, So that's a thing. Also, June's hair changes color. Uh, June, for the first four challenger stories when she is introduced has uh according to my black and white book black hair in the challenges of the unknown stories she then changes to what i can only assume is either blonde or red yeah she's super blonde yeah Uh, so her hair changes um so june (laughs) just for one issue is june robbins instead of uh, june walker instead of june robbins uh because reasons uh and i look dave wood was writing all the showcase presents stories uh with hyphen or dash jack kirby the challengers of the unknown stories are primarily jack kirby's work 
But I'm chalking this up to Jack Kirby now being in charge of the book and just kind of doing something to see if it works. Um, but wow, lots of continuity errors for the first time ever really seen. And June is just retconned to a blonde from here on out. However, her name will return to Robbins instead of Walker um, after this issue. Yeah, so they defeat Olan and his minions with the help of June Walker, who is the honorary member of the Challengers still. Um, the next story in this is the Challengers get kidnapped uh, by an alien kid and kept as pets for like, I want to say 12 hours maybe, and then they find their way to alert the kid's parents that he has pe pets from another world, and his parents are like, what the hell is this shit? And they send <laughs> the, the Challengers back. Um, it's it's a very dissonant sort of stories here. It's like one is like, oh my god, these monsters are running rampant across the planet, and also now we're doing like a Saturday morning cartoon gag. That one's the most whimsical. Yeah, Challengers number two, uh, June July nineteen fifty eight. June uh, attempts to prevent the Challengers from fighting a monster because the Ultivac machine has told her that the Challengers will die if they continue to do this job. So she arrives there and doesn't tell them that's what's going on, but just tries to get them to go to other missions. And what ends up happening is June's presence changes the equation so drastically that they are able to survive the encounter. Um, it's a giant creature. They kill it by, like, starving it of its energy source, which is the sun. So they just kind of wear it out till night and it dies because it has no heat. So I'm going to count that as a body count because they straight up murder a giant creature. Granted, it is being aggressive and attacking, but they kill that thing. Yep. They they trap the other two monsters in the story in the book before that. Like they trap and contain and get rid of, and they straight up kill this one. I think there's something that you're glossing over though. And in general, Jack Kirby has fantastic monster and like oh, yeah. alien creature design. Like his you'd... aliens, aliens are Okay, some of them are, but some of the aliens are awesome. And this alien, this strange creature is spectacular. It's a giant walking box with a periscope head. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's really funny. It's like a tripod box made of stone with like one eye that is a periscope that has like the pupil is a sun. It's yep. just so, it's so very Jack Kirby. It's so um, good. I figured you'd go into that in your notes. It was just mm -hmm. like talking about the art styles and I'm sure, I'm sure you will. Bits and um, pieces. But it's, it's very distinctive. It's, it's very, because we got to him first, it's very Carmine Infantino, but more um, for the joy of, of oddity. Like it seems less rooted in like, look how well structured this this panel is and mm -hmm. like look how friggin crazy this shit is and it's more it, and it's kind of more in love with itself than Carmen Infantino's art is there is absolutely spectacle going on yeah. here like Ultavac I fucking love yeah. the issue with the story with Ultavac because he's like there's a the first two panels where he is introduced first off they're talking about him and you like they see the silhouette out a window and it's just this looming silhouette with big glowing starburst eyes. And then the very next panel is a giant fist erupting through the wall. And I think the panel has like jagged edges. Yeah. It's just glorious. It's, it's really, it's really action art. It's yep. really great. Um, if you've ever read any Marvel in the Silver Age, you're just like, wow, this is where it kind of comes from. Cause you mm -hmm. know, Kirby went between companies for a while. Um, it's really interesting. And I also just like the fact that they're keeping continuity. They're using the Ultivac machine in this yeah. story. Um, June is still around. They constantly refer to her as an honorary challenger. 
they remember things. It's it's cool. Like there's a lot of work put into these books. They're not necessarily the best written books, but so far they're pretty fun. Um, yeah. Oh, I I yeah. very much had fun reading these. Yeah. The uh, second story in number two before we uh, move off of that is there's a criminal who uses a machine to uh, turn thoughts into reality that he has discovered on an island where a scientist lives. And Ace volunteers to have the machine used on himself so that he can fight him, you know, mind to mind and they beat the uh, criminal. Interestingly enough here, um, Ace is frequently kind of during the Challenger titled books referred to as the leader of the team. Don't know why they um, pick Ace, but Ace is effectively the leader of the Challengers. Um, Just a thing to note. Challengers number three, August, September, 1958. A bad guy tries to use an ancient mirror to assemble a being to help him conquer the world. Uh, It's it's that Yu-Gi-Oh storyline where you're trying to get the five cards out at the same time and then you summon the one monster that beats the game. He's just trying to do that and the challenger's like, no. (laughs) I have never watched Yu-Gi-Oh. Really? Okay, so the extent of what I've watched is a little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh abridged. There is is a series of cards that if Yu-Gi can assemble all five in a single game, the creature that it assembles is like, oh my god, you know, it's just like so powerful. Is it a Um, variant of the blue eyes? No, it's like a like a like a pharaoh golem thing. It's I've it's been a long time since I've watched Yu-Gi-Oh. I just remember that like Yu-Gi constantly during a game would be like, if I could get five more cards, I could assemble the whatever the hell. And but I'll just beat him with magic wizard or whatever. Like they they frequently tease this thing and this is just kind of that same story the guy's like i need to assemble the the magic it's like a genie guy like i guess you know like and he's trying to get like his armor and if he assembles it he thinks he can control him and the challengers just stop him um second story in challengers number three rocky volunteers to be a, a human guinea pig for uh trials on a serum that's experimental that they've been using on monkeys that makes the monkey kind of immune to things and he gets like superpowers for a day but also like mild memory loss (laughs) weirdly enough they state that the monkey then goes comatose after this uh during the 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 horror of rocky having superpowers and losing his mind and being kind of hoodwinked by criminals into doing crime and rocky doesn't go into a coma because they just say like it must work differently on humans i was like that's a weird like thing to tease that maybe rocky will go into a coma but really he's not going to (laughs) um challengers number four october november 1958 a guy travels back through time giving past civilizations gifts from the future in order to get their sort of calculations on how to predict the future so he's going to civilizations like greece and egypt um to kind of get like the soothsayers kind of methods and figuring out how accurate and why so accurate these ancient civilizations were and uh you just get like the the teams pairing off in like ancient greece and ancient egypt and eventually they trace him to the future where a bunch of future cops arrest all of them find out that they're not guilty of anything except like being time travelers outside the time they should be and the bad guys trying to steal future tech send them back the time cops blow up the time machine and then the challengers just take the guy in which is really funny (laughs) it's a weird i was like oh that was nice and neat i thought for sure that they were going to have like the 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 time bandit stay on in the time cube because it's like i want to stay here and they're like no you're coming with us and then it explodes it's like you're not you haven't shown yourselves unwilling as writers to let characters die like i felt like you were going to yeah i thought they were going to kill the villain but it was very much a uh, nope 
just be sure to get out of it when you get back home. Like the time cops are like, be sure to get away from this thing when you get home. And they're like, why? He's like, don't worry about it. Kicks him in. And like, why wouldn't you tell them that you're going to blow it up? Like, I don't understand. You're being kind enough to tell them to get away. You might as well just spell it out for him. Um, Challengers number five, December, uh, January, 1958, 1959. Uh, Happy New Year. It's a stupid name. V R E D L. Vredel hunts for the power of the star stone, which is just a rock that if you put a bunch of different precious gems on, it will give you powers, believe uh, apparently. Um, and he, once he assembles the star stone, <laughs> this is stupid. Ace is like, well, you know, now that you've got its power, you should probably destroy it in case anyone else gets their hands on it. And he goes, you're right. And breaks it. And of course, as he breaks it, he loses all of his powers. And like Rocky, like sucker punches him or something. And it's just like, yeah. that was stupid. <laughs> like all this lead up of like chasing this guy around the world, getting these stones and each stone gives him different powers. They're like, we can't catch him. He's like a bird man now. And now he's got like fish powers. And oh my God, he shoots fire. And it was like really intense. And all for it to be like, that guy fell for like the oldest trick in the book kind of he a thing. He gave you your power. He can take it away. Yeah. I wish to be the most powerful genie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it very much is a, a Jafar end there. It's very funny. Uh, you got your wish and everything that goes with it. Itty bitty living space. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Disney movies aside. Uh, <laughs> Challengers of number six, February, March, 1959. Uh, the Challengers get kidnapped and put into a space circus. This is the only other whimsical story, really. Um, and they just create an uprising of the other kidnapped aliens uh, against the circus folk. Okay. I want you to imagine, like, These aliens a washball kind of, <laughs> or like a handball. Like, one of those little dense plastic, especially one of the pink ones. Like it's like a highlight ball. Pink. It's yeah. like a highlight ball. Oh probably uh but yeah, yeah um, squash ball you're absolutely right that kind of thing now give it a kind of pouty face and right. stick legs and arms it's humpty dumpty yeah yeah it's just yeah. humpty dumpty except and, and not ovoid and bird people and uh yeah uh emus emus with like people faces yeah with beaks still mm -hmm. like people expressions on emus it's not pretty. Those are the other animal creature people that are also in the circus that the challengers convinced to up, uh, rise up against. Um, it's interesting and kind of cool, but you're like, wow, Jack Kirby, you just wanted to have fun today at work. Oh, and, yeah. Like, some of these are just really cool. The, 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 <laughs> the circus spaceship kind of looks like the old circus trains with, like, the windows on the sides to show off the attractions, and I'm like... That it looks can't. like Animal Crackers. Yeah, it looks like the Animal Cracker box, but, like, a giant spaceship. <laughs> it's pretty intense. Also, tangent, but apparently, like, the Animal Crackers don't have the animals in cages anymore. Like, that's apparently a new thing they're rolling out. Well, that's... I just saw the headline, but... The times they are a-changing, <laughs> I guess. Accurate. Uh... The second story in Challengers number six is June goes missing. It is convinced that she's uh, a sorceress via the fumes from a magic lamp that she discovers. Uh, the lamp is also near an ancient civilization that a guy who's on the lamp is hiding out in. And he uses her newfound identity to kind of like take over the city. And the Challengers who are looking for June stop this. It's a lot of like, wow, all these things are happening at the same time in the same place kind of a situation. So... June is 
partly under mind control because yeah. there's like uh like I'll, basically it's the Aladdin lamp actually yeah and whenever and whenever she smells the smoke she takes on the sorceress persona she has also the powers con- and the powers yeah. and under control of uh the people who are manipulating her so she is actually it she's being gas gassed yeah she's yeah, not gaslighted but gas gassed yeah uh yeah, the guy, and the, whenever she starts to come around, the guy lights the fumes again and just kind of, like, gets her knocked out into her new state again. It's, it's pretty fucked up. Yeah, there's no. no there's no real way around it. June, but, is, June is not, June's not great, but she's she's better than Alana. Uh, she is often involved, uh, and when she is, she's not useless, but she also isn't driving the action ever, and yeah. she is often the victim. She's she's very much uh, the woman that is her job, even though she is the director of something. And they never refer to her as Director Robbins. It bothers the hell out of me. She's a director of a program. I had completely forgotten. She they was never a director, refer to her right. like there are people underneath her who say like this is Director Robbins, and I'm like the guys never refer to her as Director Robbins in her official title. It's kind of insulting, but you know, I mean. They're like, this is no place for like a dame kind of fellas, but obviously she proves them wrong and occasionally, of course, gets in trouble, but still she is an honorary challenger. Challengers number seven, April, May 1959 is the last story that we're going to cover for this episode. Uh, a zoo ship from Planet Nine, which is also Pluto, That's right. uh, crash lands on Earth and a bunch of the attractions escape and the challengers just kind of round them up and put them back. They're just big animals that like one's like a giant jellyfish that eats metal. Another one is what is effectively a salamander from ancient times, a being that is constantly on fire and spreading fires wherever it goes, and just a giant dinosaur-sized armadillo. Um, And then Plutonians show up, and they're like, hey, thanks for making sure our animals didn't get killed. They're like, can you take this shit off our planet? They're like, yeah, we got it. And then they just leave. Nothing's ever done with that. The Challengers frequently meet aliens, and nothing is ever done with that knowledge. It's actually really interesting, the degree to which... The challengers are baseline humans. Yeah, they're they're, they're flat scans. There's nothing special about them beyond tens uh, all, tens all around on their stats, <laughs> except for like Rocky, who's probably got like fourteen, fifteen strength. You yeah. know, uh, but they're always in sci-fi or fantasy things. There are very few times where it's just. I don't think there's any times it's just a crook with regular tech. I think it's all like a lot of times it's a crook, but a crook who has discovered super tech or magic stumbled upon something that gives him a leg up on the challengers speaking of that uh the last story in challengers number seven a criminal finds a scientist's old lab and uses the inventions to kind of commit crimes but is thwarted when he realizes the inventions cannot be used on people because the scientist never designed anything that could harm another human being and the challengers just beat the shit out of him because (laughs) he has no weapons really other than these inventions that he's like i can i can do away with you and they're like it didn't work, did it? And he's like, why isn't this working? And they and like Ace or Rocky just punches him. Um, so that's the end of the story. A lot of, lot of islands in the middle of nowhere that hold ancient or really advanced technology that criminals end up finding when they're running from the police. It's really impressive. Like there's got to be like five of those that the challengers end up having to go to. Even setting aside the the thing of the ancient ruins and technology, uh, 
There are a lot of criminals who flee a goodly distance. Yeah, like a, like out of this, out, like into international waters yeah. or like beyond the coast. It's very impressive that they get as far as they do away from the cops. Um, just something to note that is a common theme in these. The challengers after the showcase issues become like a worldwide known thing. People mm-hmm. like call them. It's very much a Ghostbusters situation. Thank you. Um, it's like there's a weird thing in my my cornfield don't know what it is might i should probably call the challengers of the unknown they'll probably deal with this not like i don't know the cops the government you're gonna call a bunch of what is effectively the a-team with purple jumpsuits to show up at your house and be like i don't know do something with it and these guys will just poke it with a stick it's not like they're trained to do anything with it they have no base that we see they have a plane which goes through multiple iterations as the issues go on um it's more and more of a jet as time passes in the 1950s it's kind of like a two prop uh you know two propeller plane sort of like air and sea kind of a situation um almost this is a weird uh reference for those of you who who listen to the podcast it's the tailspin plane in the first two issues of showcase um and then it becomes like a jet that can go on water and in the sky and so on and so forth. And so they just show up whenever people call them. Uh, Professor Haley apparently knows a lot of science people being a Swiss Army scientist. So he kind of gives the lowdown on certain technology. Um, the team often does get paired off into like uh, duos to split up, you know, um, Rocky and Ace are usually paired up together. Professor and Red are usually paired up together. You know, it's kind of the, you know, intelligent guy and the young brash adult. And then the two hardened, um, you know, soldier types to go deal with the more like drastic daring situation while the other two kind of deal with like objective based problems. They have kind of interesting dynamics. They're constantly talking to each other. There's banter. They, um, they worry about each other. Occasionally, one challenger is kind of singled out to do a solo mission. Like Rocky, when he gets his superpowers, or Ace has to you know, do mental battle with the criminal. But for all in all, it's a team book. They are a group of people who do things. They're not necessarily very personality heavy. It's very much... Um, an old arcade game where each one of them starts with a different weapon and has like a different plus to them. It's, it's kind of just like, man, the power battle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you've got these four guys who effectively are just mercenaries. They don't seem to get paid. The government seems to take them pretty seriously. Local law enforcement knows of them well enough to let go. Oh, thank God. The challengers like they mean something. They've got enough of a reputation that they can kind of just do whatever they want. Alright, I don't have an abundance of notes this time, but I do have some things that I want to cover. Alright, so, things that I've got. Uh, just because I have to point this, I, I have to make sure that everyone knows this. Uh, because we said, like, these are proto-Fantastic Four, but I just want to clarify. Their origin story is, they go up in something that flies... Something happens, they land, and they decide that they are in some way either superpowered or special. They're living on borrowed time, and they decide to fight crime together. Which, which, mind you, never comes up again. 
that's very true this is not an origin story that comes back yeah like they they reference like well we're living on borrowed time gents but like it's never addressed that like maybe the reaper's like where have you been or something <laughs> like there's ne- like nothing no personification of death has ever chased these guys down in a story it's just god i hope we actually are kind of like supposed to die at some point you know like because otherwise we're just taking incredible risks and probably we should be a lot more careful the thing that does keep coming back is like the end of i think every story is our next assignment yeah that that's the thing that recurs there's not even any like cool wordplay or like mugging for the camera it's just like our next assignment's coming up we're always doing something rock yeah yeah I also do want to call out on the subject of the Fantastic Four. There was the one story where Rocky specifically has a chemical injection, yes, but goes up in a plane, crashes, goes up in a rocket, in fact, crashes, and has superpowers. Yeah. Remarkable through lines here. And and the superpowers are pretty much everything powers. Yeah. Super strong, flying, he can shoot beams of energy. Can go invisible. uh, Yeah. Has fire powers. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's he doesn't stretch. No, but, but he just does everything. Um let's see. What else do I want to cover? Uh a little bit of a like a pithy way of summing up the different the fact that the characters are a little bit different but not very different. They have different verbs, but that's just the verbs, the way they do things is all the same. Yeah. Uh, paneling. I talked a little bit about the paneling around Ultivac. At one point in the distant past, I took a bunch of sample issues of whatever, I think Flash at the time, and took a look at how many panels, how many pages had like non-standard, non-grid paneling. And this is just like even leaps and bounds beyond what Carmine Infantino did. Yeah. We don't have any like, oh, cool passage of time things, but we do have some spectacular, like, uh, honestly, we have like splash panels. Yeah. Uh, I'm, lo- I'm looking at a screenshot I took of the uh, introduction of Ultivac, the two panels that I described, and it's two small panels. They're slightly misaligned. Like one panel is slightly taller than the other, so they have a little bit of like... Uh, like window overlaid over window feel. And then there's the giant shot of Ultivac's hand like slamming through the ground. It does very slightly. Okay, it reaches the bottom of one of the panels above it. It doesn't quite do like the cool like ripping through the panel's edge uh, thing. But it comes real close. Yeah, and, and you've also got like when they travel to the future chasing the one guy. The first page in that is just this giant scope page where you see how small the challenges oh, are in this new, is, f- yes. like the future city is huge and different. They're like, gosh, guys, like this place is enormous and look how different it is. It's like, wow, yeah, it's huge compared to like any city that they're normally in. And I mean, this is Jack Kirby. Yep. This is one of the preeminent artists of this industry you know when you're talking about the silver and gold age and golden age you're talking about will eisner and jack kirby carmine infantino we've now seen two of those three in dc comics and it is very clear why they are the best at this Mm -hmm. i do especially want to call out like i'm glad we're seeing this because we have seen kirby before which comic was it that we were reading what was it hawkman 
Uh, I think it was Adam Strange. Adam Strange. Okay. And I did not, I don't think either of us felt that strong about his art in yeah. there. Uh, and I'm so glad that we're seeing him partly like he's getting to cut loose on different looking characters. There's some partly like the character. There are some humanoid characters who get to have interesting expressions, not so much the main characters, but like, Oh, uh, scientists like reacting very, ex very animatedly and interesting faces, but also like Kirby alien and creatures uh yes please yeah the art, uh, the art quality is is very different mm -hmm. there's one other bit about that that i especially want to call out uh and it's ross kirby uh yeah i don't know i have not done nearly enough research on this bit but my understanding is ross kirby who either at this time or at some other point was jack kirby's wife was inking a lot of his stuff not all of these issues. Uh, DC Wikia uh, has her down for the first two showcase uh, issues and then some of the challengers issues. But there are some bits of inking that are just gorgeous. Uh, minor breaks for something that I found really entertaining. So the challenger stories, like many of the other ones that we read, uh, the or more accurately, those challenger issues, have pro stories in them like we saw in actually kind of like we saw in uh johnny thunder back in yeah. the day uh standalone uh oh this is on theme like detective comics had uh uh just one page detective prose and in this case it's all sci-fi it's all sci-fi stuff and they're surprisingly pretty okay uh oh, they definitely fall into the same vein of well that was a convenient plot twist but it's a satisfying plot twist. Uh, yeah, those aren't in mine. So yeah, they're, they're all unrelated. None of them are challengers. But it's stuff like uh, one story was uh, aliens show up and they're not communicating. And people are like, well, some military leaders are like, oh, we should nuke them. And the protagonist is like, nah, it's not doing anything yet. And then they move the earth and people are like, we should nuke them. We should nuke them. Protagonist turns around and says, fuck off. Be quiet. You weren't listening to the news right now, but a meteor just went through the space that Earth was in before they moved us. So, mm. <laughs> happy twist. And, yeah. like, one-page stories, stuff like that. There was another one of a guy, uh, guy's, like, a space trucker and then gets held up uh, by a criminal who's like, all right, you're going to fly me to this place. Uh, or, rather, they he makes them switch ships and breaks the guy's radio. You're going to have to fly. The cops are after you deal with it yeah. uh and it's how am i gonna get how do, how am i gonna get out of this how am i gonna get out of this and then he realizes he can skywrite hmm. and it's like all right yeah that's these cool are, these aren't bad and one pager so yeah the other thing that they do have is a little more sci-fi themed uh gag strips they've all like they've always got those one sometimes two page ones in this case they actually do have two page uh pretty consistently and this one just it felt so like every negative stereotype of American capitalism, especially of this era, like the military industrial complex. Yes. 100%. Uh, it's a, st uh, the strip is always about, uh, a scientist, very, very Einstein looking guy, but bumbling all, all that normal stuff. And it's like, Oh, well, I mean, I know you're working on atomic testing, but we have to, we have to shut it down, uh, cost-cutting measures. And 
the general comes back a week later and, well, I'm glad you were able to keep doing atomic testing, but where'd you get the money? And the scientist has made it so that the nu- the mushroom cloud, the mushroom cloud mm. has like skywriting on it as an advertisement for like a juice company or something. <laughs> it's like everyone can see it. Yeah. It's like, wow. <laughs> when you brand your nukes, yeah, when you have the Wonder Bread logo on Fat Man and Little Boy, Fat Man and Little Boy you've done something horribly wrong. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is kind of cool. Um, so we talked a little bit about the stories are pretty satisfying. They're not always like they're, they don't take structural shortcuts in the way that like the JLA stories did where it's okay. You're going to do three of this. It's not the Superman thing where it's, uh, five, six wishes and it's monkey's paw potentially Uh, to their detriment. But yes, they do not mm -hmm. take narrative shortcuts. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I think one of the best ways of sort of encapsulating it is that the times where they split up into two groups of two, they don't do one story and then the other and then they meet back up. It's often cutting back and forth between them, at least a little bit. Yeah. It's not like there are clean demarcations of this chapter is these guys. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes it is to the detriment. I think it it works generally. Yeah. But one thing specifically, the I think it's, it's the second... The second issue, uh, uh, when June is introduced uh, and she becomes an honorary member, and there's the prediction that one cha- there's a prediction that one challenger must die to to defeat. Uh, I guess it must Ben Ultivac. Yeah, uh, the prediction is fulfilled because uh, Rocky's heart actually stops, and then he's resuscitated, and it's like okay, nobody died, but somebody died, and that was really entertaining to me because earlier in the story one of their like one page like did you know kind of uh comic bits was about robert or uh lewis e stevenson uh the guy who did uh not treasure planet treasure uh, treasure island robert lewis stevenson (laughs) robert lewis stevenson thank you i believe uh that is 100 percent correct uh wrote about at one point he had uh like an out-of-body experience as he had a heart attack or something and actually like described it as having died for a little bit it's like oh and then this actually like that becomes part of the plot that (laughs) you die but you you're not dead dead yeah it's like oh well done thank you for priming me for that thank you for chekhov's gunning with an interstitial (laughs) oh i think this is probably the last thing but Actually, two last things. Okay, I remembered one more. Uh, first off is, I really like how grounded some of these stories are. Uh, we've mentioned, like, they are baseline humans. But even beyond... So that certainly helps keep it a little bit more, like, focused, I guess. But also, like, I think the first story is uh, New York ends up being attacked. Uh and then other bits, there's times where chases are happening, like, through the canyons of city streets. It's a little bit less of that as they get into, like, the challengers issues. But especially early on, it feels pretty grounded. Like, New York is one that's attacked instead of it being a random city, specifically. Yeah. Like, or, uh, like, an unnamed city or a made-up city. It's No, it's, it's New York. Yeah. Uh, and then the other bit is, there's some stories in here that feel cinematic to a degree uh they feel like the construction of an action movie uh two bits first off like the first couple stories it there's always a 
point in those early stories, at least, where there's an expansion of scope, where the equivalent I draw is the heroes uh, have been working solo against the villains for a while, and now it's okay, we're either about to be attacked or we're about to attack their stronghold, and here's the, here's the rest of the cops. Uh, here's the other people who are going to stand up alongside us. Uh, there's that moment where there's an expansion of how big of a thing this is, how many people are involved, and the heroes are at the center of it, but it's not just them anymore. Mm. Uh, and that feels very like start of a third act of a, of a movie. All right, Helm's Deep. Yeah. We're going to be on the walls, but this is all of us now. Right. Uh, and then the other bit, especially the uh, Starstone story, it's it felt really like the construction of an action movie in the, or a thriller action movie where it's okay we're trying to get to this location to beat real real it's real it's the mummy movies yeah you know it's an it's an action adventure film you know mm -hmm. traveling across the world to stop yeah. a bad guy and and like always being just a little bit too late but having those like we go here and have a clash and then go there and have a clash and that builds towards this ending so right. i really like that yeah no they're very good all right, do you have a recommendation? I do, in fact, and it's it's a good one. Uh, go see Sorry to Bother You. Mm. It was really good. Uh, the way I would describe it is it's an office fugue, like dissatisfaction with the world, or kind of like how, like if you took Office Space, the way that it is about day-to-day -day drudgery and instead did that through a lens of, like the intro to BoJack Horseman fugue. Hmm. Uh, this is just gr simultaneously grinding me down, but also it's a little bit surreal how much, how little control I have in this moment. And then you, gr you tie that in with, it is very explicitly uh, an anti-capitalist uh, and anti-racism uh, story. And then there's more. Yeah. That just kind of expands it. And you should definitely watch it. Uh, and I don't want to spoil anything because some of the stuff it does takes it in interesting directions that are more effective if you don't see them coming. Yeah. But, God, that's good. And I, I do also recommend, I need to listen to more of Boots Riley's stuff. Uh, Boots Riley is the writer and I think director and also uh, does something else and is the essentially the one main guy of the coup which yeah is he's very enjoyable he's the lead singer for street sweeper social Club. that's right not my recommendation but also a recommendation also go see crazy rich asians very mm, very yeah. very good i cannot recommend that movie enough very good but my recommendation this is something i saw <laughs> this week that i haven't been able to not think about since i saw it on youtube I... this is very weird okay on youtube don't know if it's still there. Don't know if it's been taken down. The full VHS of How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way Ooh. exists in nine Ooh. parts. It is the weirdest thing because it is Stan Lee and John Buscema doing How to Draw Comics thing in the most like high level barely touch the surface sort of like art book thing you could do where it's like draw a cylinder everybody's comprised of cylinders 
if you look at a leg, it's a cylinder with this at the end of it. And it's like, come on, man. Like, like who's this Who's this movie for? Like, is it for, like, someone who, like, kind of already knows how to draw? Or is this for, like, it's like your grandfather telling you to just draw kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it the, the section on perspective is really interesting because it tells you, like, Oh, like using a ruler and straight edge and like how to actually view perspective and like it teaches you some terminology for comics. Like there is some legitimately really interesting knowledge that's imparted. The best part has to be eternal grandfather Stanley already whenever this movie was made looking old with them giant glasses. But everything is like the Marvel company line. And it is the most bizarre thing because he's like, you've got to draw, but you want to do it the Marvel way like we do. And he goes like, you know, that's how we do it here at Marvel or that's a Marvel man when like showing a hero or he goes, it's the fastest. It's the most precise. It's the Marvel way. And you're like, oh, my God, stop it. (laughs) It's so obviously like a we are the better company or like we have a high standard. And it's amazing just how often he refers to something as the Marvel way or like that's how Marvel does it. Or like a Marvel man looks like this. He's generally like seven heads tall instead of a six head tall man. And a Marvel woman looks like this. And it's just like, oh my God, we get it. Like, I know what this video is, man. I bought it, presumably. Like, I understand this is about Marvel Comics. You're Stan Lee. It's incredible. It's just such a weird, like, whew, this is a, this is a time capsule kind of a moment. And it's really fun to watch. Your mileage may vary on how informative <laughs> it is, honestly, but it's really interesting to just be like, wow, okay, sure, man, this is the Marvel way, I guess. So it's it's very, it's very interesting. Um, I definitely recommend it if you can find it on YouTube. Um, I think that's going to do it for us for this episode. We're probably going to do another episode of Challengers. Uh, I, the more I'm... The more I'm looking at like the time frames of our previous episodes, the more I'm realizing we just didn't get to 61 with a lot of characters because I think we stopped at 1960 and that was when we started Justice League and then we went to 1961. So we're going to just move everybody up with the yardstick and then we're going to move forward. So that may mean we get to Flash Woo! again and GL or Aquaman or Wonder Woman again, maybe. Um, but for certain, we'll probably also get to the Elongated Man. Good yeah yes good so there's lots of things that are coming up down the pipe we've got a multitude of different characters now i'm sorry if it's so scattershot but we're trying to just cover everything and see what catches our fancy and here we are um but until then we will see you all next time dc detectives can be found on soundcloud and itunes to stay in the know check out our facebook twitter instagram and dcdetectivespodcast.com The Challengers were impressed with our stories from other worlds and brushes with gods. While our personal exploits may not have stacked up with Ace's war record or Rocky's feats of strength, Professor Haley and June seemed particularly interested in the strangers with incredible powers and visitors from other worlds. They offered to give us a lift home in their plane after their assignment was finished, but a call came through on the radio that they couldn't ignore. Without hesitation, We told them we'd be glad to tag along.